you have a Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to turn the air on, is that okay? Yay. Tell me what to do. If you want to take a second, meet the people sitting around you, that'd be awesome. No, I'm serious. Go ahead, do it. Uh, it'll cool down. It'll cool down pretty quickly. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Second Corinthians six. You know the irony is that uh, see these AC deals they run in like three hour segments, and so I turned it off between prayer and the start, and then I was going to. Turn them on right before we started so I wouldn't have to stop and they wouldn't cut off in the middle and we'd all get hot. But I forgot to turn them back on. So my plan was thwarted by myself. Um, 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, good to uh, good to hear you guys singing. I, mean, I always hear you singing, some reason tonight, um, it was just a little bit different. Um, I guess it should be that way. Every time we come together, it should be our worship times through time in the text and singing and all that kind of stuff should be progressively different, right? They should be growing. Um, and that's some of where what we'll talk about tonight a little bit. Um, we find ourselves uh, in what to me is kind of a tricky text. Uh, from a teaching standpoint, and you'll see why um, in just a second. Um, and so without giving a whole lot of background or anything like that, we're just going to get right into it. Um, so we've been going through Second Corinthians for months now, and uh, we're going to keep going until it's done. Um, so we'll pick up in verse 14. We're just going to look at the first sentence of verse 14 for a little bit. Um, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I'm going to leave that up there for a little bit. Um, this verse is oftentimes uh, misquoted and abused uh, to include all kinds of things that it's not meant to include. Um, being unequally yoked has, uh, has like, this verse is not talking about marriage. Uh, now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul does address marriage and how believers are to marry other believers and not to marry outside of the faith, and he explains why and all that kind of stuff, and I think we get that. This verse in particular is not saying that uh, explicitly. Uh, it is saying it implicitly, though. Um, kind of, he's kind of rehashing it a little bit. Um, so this verse, it's not talking about marriage here. Uh, and interestingly, um, you may have heard it used this way at uh, different points, especially if you grew up in the South. Uh, this is not only not talking about marriage, it's also not talking about race and marriage. Um there's, you will not find biblical support uh, um, 
for people who are trying to argue against interracial marriage from a biblical standpoint. You, just, you can't stand on Scripture uh, or whatever. But sometimes this verse is used, that's like one of their go-to texts, people who are against interracial marriage. That's not what this verse is about, uh, and you can't find a verse that is about that. So, um, yeah, so if you ever hear that used or whatever, just kind of respond graciously, but with truth. Um, uh, there's just, there's nothing at all wrong with it, ever. And hopefully the generations are emerging that will continue to turn that over, uh, that ridiculousness. So this verse is not talking about that. Um, this verse is not talking about uh, how you shouldn't date non-Christians, although uh, I think that um, that's a legitimate uh, implied thing as well. Uh, this verse is not talking about marriage, it's not talking about dating, it's not talking about um, going into business with people. I mean, there's so many ways this verse is, is used that it's not about. Um, here's, here's what it is about. Uh, to be yoked together obviously comes from an, an, agriculture, an agricultural based metaphor um, and so when you yoke two animals together uh, you know it's the piece of wood and you put the two animals in it traps them together and and they they um, you know they work together to plow fields and to pull things and you know whatever um, and so it but it's not just there uh, during the first century like being yoked together uh, was a phrase that that meant more than just something you do on the farm, you know, with animals to get them to work. Um, yoking together, it, like it was a relational concept as well. Uh, when, when, and it comes from the animals. When two animals are yoked together, they enter into a relationship with each other. Uh, and the way that it works is you, you take, you know, let's say you're trying to move something huge, and and you need, um, or let's say you're trying to plow a field because that is a bit better. Uh, you would take uh, an older, stronger, veteran ox, let's say, who who knows exactly what the master's commands mean and everything. You put him in one side. You take a younger, you know, like an up-and-coming, you know, still strong, still whatever, but just doesn't have the experience as the other one. You put him, you put them in, in the other side of the yoke. So you put an experienced veteran and a rookie together. And they, those two animals, enter into this relationship. Um, and what happens is, over time, the young one learns by force, by, literally by physical force, what to do from the older one. So, you know, the older one knows and the master says, when he says this, this is what you do, this is when you slow up, this is when you, you stop, this is when you turn left, turn right, whatever. And so the younger one learns, you know, through just experiential means um, that, you know, whatever. And so this relationship, basically it's like a, like a mentor and a men, mentee. Uh, relationship that happens there. The disciple, the apprentice, uh, the master teacher. And so that, that they learn from each other. They, uh, the younger one is influenced by the older one. And that's how, like, like, that's how it worked. Um, but not only was this, that relationship there of you have a teacher and a learner, but you also have, you have a team. You know, you have these two animals who are together functioning as one. In order to accomplish the the will of the master, you know, plow the field or whatever, um, and so uh, when when you talk about people being yoked together, you're talking about them entering into a relationship with each other, where where there is learning, and where there is focus, and where there is like this this singular, you know, like the two functioning as one to accomplish this one certain thing. 
And so when he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, um, to be unequally yoked is something that would happen sometimes too on the farm. Uh, let's say that, that you needed two animals to do something, but you only had one of a particular kind. So let's say you had an ox, but you didn't have a second ox, and you really, it was like a two animal job. So you're like, well, let's get this, let's, let's get this goat to put it in. Uh, so that would be, that would be, uh, unequally yoked. It's not that you are, are putting two animals at different levels of experience or different levels of strength or whatever in the same one. It's you're putting two different kinds of animals in the same yoke. And so when he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, he's saying, do not be yoked with someone who is an unbeliever. Do not enter into um, that kind of relationship with someone who's an unbeliever. Now, what, what, okay, so why is that not about marriage? It's not about marriage because it, nowhere in this entire text does it talk about marriage or dating or courting or anything like that. Um, as it goes on to explain, there's just, there's something more going on. Um, you had, uh, you had these new Christians in Corinth. Some of them were Jewish converts, and some of them were Gentile converts. For a Jewish convert, um, you know, they they were familiar with God, familiar with Messiah, familiar with with all these things about Him, all the covenant promises, I mean, everything. They were they were on board with that. And when Jesus came, they're like, "Hey, He's the He's the guy. He's the fulfillment of all the promises." So, so it was like a kind of a, a more natural transition than for uh, Gentiles. Gentiles would be anybody who's not Jewish. And so for Gentiles in Corinth, they grew up in just surrounded by like paganism. <coughs> and so by paganism, I really just mean like not God, everything else. And so they had all these these temples and these uh, these idols were set up, you know, and so these big statues and big, you know, whatever. And so there's just constantly um, just w- different worship and different customs for all these different, you know, gods that, that they created, hundreds of gods and all this kind of stuff. God's for the, for the crops and for the rain and for the sun and for the whatever. And so the entire culture was just surrounded by idol worship. Now, when, when a Jewish person converted to Christianity, they, like, they would never interact with, the, with idols. I mean, because in the, in the Jewish temple, there were no idols. There's no graven imagery. That's a part of, like, foundational Jewishness. Um, that's, like, just how it is. And so for them, when they, you know, would convert, there's no big deal. Um, in relation to being surrounded by idols, they would look at them and they would think it was absolutely insane. And they would not, they just wouldn't want anything to do with that already. But Gentiles, if they grew up worshiping these different idols and just a part of the city where that's everything that's going on around them all the time, um, for them, they convert, they become Christians. Um, they still have all these relationships with people who were um, like pagan idol worshipers. Um, and so, um, some maybe it was family members, maybe it was whatever. And so, uh, what was happening was these, um, they're like, their pagan friends, I hate to use the pagan, that's what, that's what uh, their pagan friends would like invite them over to come to the temples. And one of the things that, that was real common is they would, uh, you know, they would sacrifice these animals to these gods and then they would like have a barbecue and like, eat the meat, you know, whatever. And they'd be like, hey, come over. And they would share these meals from this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. So you have this meat that was um, basically involved in a demonic activity, and then they would just like cut it up and eat it. You know? um, and so um, 
they were Christians, but then they were getting invited to all these these gatherings and temples and stuff like that. So a lot of them just kind of kept their same routines. And so they were followers of Christ, but yet they were still attending all these pagan worship services and stuff like that. And um, what was happening was it, it wasn't just that they were attending, but the influence of the people who were talking to them, they were the ones who were speaking against Paul a lot of the time. And because there are people in, inside the church speaking against him, but people outside the church really hated him. So they're catching a lot of flack about Paul, catching a ton of flack about Jesus. Um, it was a very just anti-Christian vibe out there. And they were being influenced by that. And so when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, he's talking about, he's saying, look, some of you guys have relationships where you are being influenced by the other one, and so you're, you're unequally yoked. You have a believer and an unbeliever in, in the yoke, and everything that they are saying, you are believing and you're buying into it. And so in that scenario, it was almost like the like their pagan friends were the older veteran animal, and they were kind of the newbies that were getting in there. And so everything there was there's they're so confused and they're so back and forth and there was just all this whatever. So Paul's really trying to get their attention, saying, "Look, um, you cannot be in these kinds of relationships that are, going to, that are going to cause you to be disobedient, to compromise, and to break covenant with God. You you can't do it." It's, it's killing you. You're confused. You're hurt. You don't know what's true and what's whatever. Their influence is too much because you're in a yoke with someone who has nothing, who have, you have no business being in a yoke with. Okay? That's, what, that's what's going on. Um, he's not saying, like, you shouldn't have friends that are non-Christians. It's not about, like, the friendships. It's not about those, those connections it's about their influence on you. And if their influence on them was, was detrimental to their walk with Christ and, and the mission of Christ and the mission of the church, if that was the way it was, he, he said you don't need to be in those relationships in the way that you are. Okay? Now, I just need to ask you just to please listen to the whole sermon. okay? Because I know it sounds right now like there's, there's like a little bit of gray area and I don't really understand. Listen, in in the way that they were relating to their pagan friends, it was killing them. So he said, you don't need to relate to them in the way that you are. Not saying get rid of them, kick them to the curb, go live in a cave. No. He's saying you're yoked with something that is that is influencing you negatively. So let's look at, at the whole passage as he, as he keeps going. Um, says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so then he explains this some more. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. Okay? He makes all these contrasts. And here's what he's getting at. Um, he's, he's saying, look, um, you're two different animals. You're not the same animals. You're two different animals. Now, you've heard me in recent weeks go on and on about the image of God, how we're all the same. And we are all the same. Everybody on the planet created an image of God. But there's also distinction. 
there are saints and there are sinners. There are those who are in Christ and there are those who are in Adam. And I know it's really trendy nowadays, stuff like that, to say that we're all the same, okay? But saying that a Christian and a Muslim are the same is just like, just as crazy as saying an ox and a goat are the same. They're, they're not. And I know that, that you know that. Sometimes we just need to be reassured that it's perfectly okay to see that distinction there. We have to learn to, to have both of those together. Created in the image of God and in Christ or in Adam. It's not a judgmental thing. That's, that's reality for us. And we're trying to bring people who are still in Adam to be in Christ. And to have the image of God renewed in them. That's, that's what we're trying to do. That's the gospel. That's the goal. That's what it's all about. God's glorified when that happens. More, more glory, more everything. Okay? So, um, so he goes through these contrasts. He said, look, these two things are different. You have light. You have darkness. You have Christ. You have Satan. You have believers. You have unbelievers. You have the temple of God. You have idols. You have righteousness, you have lawlessness. He's saying, look, there's a difference. There's got to be a distinction. And he's talking to some people in the the church and Corinth who were were living lives with very, very little distinction between them. Now, here's why sermons like this make me sweat. Um, because, Because I've heard that sermon before. And I know, I know the reaction that it evokes. Because a natural part of us, because you, because you hear something like that, and I, I think we believe it. I think if someone says, there should be a distinction between Christians and non-Christians. Like you should, there's, is, there's a difference, and you, it should be evident. I think we all, like, okay, I, I agree with that. In Christ and Adam, completely different. You look at your own life. Before you were rescued, and now that you're after, it's completely different. There should be a distinction. So I think we agree with it, and then we immediately leap to, okay, in my own life, is there a distinction? And then, uh, most of the time, we find that there are areas of life where there's not. So our natural reaction is, okay, well, I need to like come up with a way for there to be more distinction. And so we've all probably, if, not all, but if we grew up in church, especially, you probably went to that youth retreat where you came home and like threw away all your CDs and all your tapes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're like, that's it. No more, no more Christian, no more secular music for me, only Christian music for me. And so what, what we do is like, is, is you hear that and you're like, there needs to be a distinction. Here's the area of my life where there's not a distinction. So what can I do about it? And, uh, we, we try to come up with rules. And we base those rules on the behavior of non-Christians. We say, well, if non-Christians do that, I'll just do the opposite of that, right? So we need to make rules. We base it on the behavior of, uh, of those who are, are in Adam. And then we pretty much always overcorrect. So you swing so far the other side. So that's why it's like, hmm, music is an area where there's not a lot of distinction. Um, they listen to, uh, you know, secular stuff. And so I'm going to overcorrect. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to get rid of everything and make a huge deal about it. So everybody knows how righteous I am. And, and I'm going to get rid of all that stuff, and that's, that's going to be like how, how distinct I am. And what you do is you go from like being whoever you are to being the weirdo who had a like fire outside with all their CDs and stuff like that and sang, you know, songs from the loft or something as it was going and felt like, yes, you don't even know songs from the loft are. That's fine. 
Uh, and, and so, um, so you end up over here. And then something happens when you get over here, because like, this doesn't feel right either. Because what you found is like, now you're like the weirdo, right? So now you're the weirdo and you're unable to connect with people. So then you go to a, to, a, you know, and you hear a sermon that talks about, you know, being missional. You're like, oh, I gotta reconnect with those people. It's like, there's too much distinction now. So now I have to figure out how do I get back over here? And so, so maybe, maybe there's like some overlap. Like, maybe like switch foot. Be like overlap music, you know, kind of happy on both sides, you know, that kind of stuff. They're still faith based, you know, whatever. Uh, and so things like start to come back over here because you just want to be missional, right? Because you want to connect with people and that's good. And so, um, so, so you do the same thing. You decide, I need some rules. You look at what they're doing. How can I bridge the gap? And we tend to overcorrect and eventually you get back over here. And, and so, and you get so, so missional. The same thing happens that's happened here. It starts to just lead to all kinds of just stuff where you end up compromising and selling out and whatever. And it's just exhausting to go so back and forth. And so, so the question to me is like, okay, how do we, where do you go from there should be a distinction? Where do you go from there? Because I don't want to go to, to let's make rules. And I think there's a lot of folks in this church who have, who, who come from rule-based culture, you know, church culture, and so you rebel from legalism, end up overcorrecting into license, and then you just end up doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff. In the banner, uh, waving the banner of freedom and whatever. And so both extremes aren't good. So where, where do we, how do you go in a healthy way from, from that, that point? And what, and what I'm saying is, is, how do you, how do you go when you, when you, you know there should be a distinction, you, and you know, because the spirit inside of you is like, there's this part of your life where there's no difference between you and those who are in Adam. And that needs to change. See, that's not, that's not legalism. That's not license. That's the Spirit sanctifying, refining. God's not mad at you. He's like, I can't believe you're, you know, you're such a sellout or whatever. He's like, hey, look, this, this area of life needs some refinement. You need to find some distinction. And see, the best ever at that, or Jesus, and he's the answer to everything. Whatever the question is, who is the best at this? You just always say, always say Jesus. He was the best at knowing how to be distinct, but yet not be a weirdo at the same time. So it's like, okay, so how do you take this? I mean, what do you, how do you not be yoked? Like, how do you not let your relationship with people get to the point where they're influencing you and all that kind of stuff? But like, but how do you still connect with them? Somehow Jesus was able to do it, right? I mean, like people are always like, well, he hung out with the troublemakers and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but he didn't, he didn't go cause trouble with them. You know, people hated tax collectors. He hung out with tax collectors. He didn't be like, hey, y'all need some help count, count the money. No, he didn't do that. There's a way. And it's here. This is what Paul's getting at. And I, I you know what I love in this text so much is the way that um, he doesn't help, like, he doesn't beat them down. Just be like, what about your witness, you know? What are the people going to think? He doesn't use that dirty church tactic that somehow we came up with at some point. You know, guilt and 
whatever, condemnation, something like that, to, to get people's behavior under control. He just presents them with the only thing, the only like transformative thing for us to help us figure out this. This is what he says. Verse 16. It says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He, he grabs these, these concepts from the Old Testament and puts together this just such a beautifully perfect explanation. You see, the, the distinction between Christians and non-Christians has, is not like based like on behavior. And that's where we go wrong so much. Because we're like, non-Christians talk like this, so Christians talk like this. Non-Christians go to these places, so Christians don't go to those places. I mean, it's, it's all behavior-based. It's dumb. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense with the gospel. It, did, it completely, like, it doesn't line up. See, the, the, the base for where all that comes from is not behavior. The base for those things is, is your identity. You're like, oh, I knew he was going to say that. He always says that. But it's true. That, that's where that's where it comes from. So, absolutely, there are behaviors, but those behaviors come from who we are. So, people who are born in Adam, being born in that original sin, separate from God, uh, their behaviors come from that identity. I had a professor in seminary, and he's like, "Look, don't ever forget, lost people are going to act like lost people. Don't be shocked when they do." I was like, that's so, just such a brilliant thing. Like, what? Everybody just need to hear it. It's like, oh, okay. Because we were in this, this is irrelevant. We were in this class, and this guy was freaking out because they were doing these, like, door-to-door evangelism things. They kept getting cussed out. He's, like, so offended. I was like, what? why are you offended? He's like, why are you offended? It's dumb. And it was great. Anyway. Um, and I'm not saying that cussing, is, you know, don't, whatever. Um, so, but that's where it comes from. It comes from identity. So when your identity is you're born in original sin, you're separate from God, you don't, like, you, you just don't, you have, you have not connected with the gospel yet. Of course that's going to be there. And, and, but for us, our behaviors come out of our identity. Our behaviors, uh, our identity doesn't come out of our behaviors. See, a lot of times we, we get those, we flip them. Like, okay, well, I can just... Talk like this and act like this and go to church and go to community group and do this kind of stuff and then like I'll be in Christ. It's like, no. And some of you are like, no, I don't do that. But you do. I do. We all slip into that sometimes. We flip them around. But the base is always your identity in Christ. And from that spring certain behaviors. Now, unfortunately, we like to go right to behaviors. Like we just, you know, modify the behaviors. You know, we just we can take our teenagers and we can just keep them from doing this and this and this and they'll, they'll be fine. They'll turn out okay. It's like, no, you got to go to the base. Feed the base. 
behaviors will take care of themselves. Right? True? And that's, that's the way that it works. And so what, what he's going to here is he, instead of saying, like, okay, here's, here's some ground rules, okay? Don't go here, don't go here, don't talk to these people, whatever. He's like, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the promises of God. Let's go back to the, to the gospel. He's like, I'll, now keep in mind, I mean, he didn't say this, but he's he spent like many, many words up until this point laying a ridiculously solid foundation for this. So take chapters 1 through 5 and 6 up to this point and have that all that in there too. So let's let's look look at this. This is this is the why. This is the why. We put pieces it together. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the that's the covenant uh, they call it the covenant formula. That's it's found all throughout scripture as God is is casting his vision for his relationship with humanity, that's what he talks about. It's it's personal. He said, I'm going to dwell with them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. It's completely relational. In verse 17, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Okay, This separation that's there. And here's here's where this is coming from. You have these Gentile Christians who have been rescued from demonic idol worship. And they're returning to that stuff constantly. Saying, what are you doing? All throughout the Bible, God says, you be holy because I'm holy. All throughout the, the Old Testament with Israel, he's saying, like you, like do not be involved with the idol worship of all the the tribes and stuff around you. You are to be separate. That's what he's talking about here. You to be separate. And so here you have these people who are running right into the very things that they were rescued from. It's completely dumb. When we went to India, uh, there, you know, these these boys are being rescued from this train station, and and you know, so we're just kind of like talking or whatever, and we're like, I wonder, you know. I wonder if they ever take the boys who've been rescued to go down there and like plead with the other boys. Like, no, no, you need to come. This is the way out, all this kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, it's kind of like, well, part of me thinks that would be awesome. Part of me thinks that would be the worst thing ever. And I hope those kids never go back to that train station. I hope that when they're adults and they have to travel, they're like, I ain't going to that one. And that's what was happening here. And that's what, like, the Spirit, I think, is trying to get us to, to understand. So here's this God who's made this promise, this relational promise. And this is what he's put on us, is to just be obedient to him. Say, look, I've, I've rescued you from some things. Be separate from the, in the ways that I have rescued you. Think about that. Be separate in the ways... That I have rescued you. I'm not going to give you application points. It's going to be different for all of us. But the general concept for us is how, like, when that distinction it comes from who I am, and it shows up in ways where I recognize what I've been rescued from, and I distance myself from those things on purpose. This really just comes down to holiness. I said earlier, 
separate from sin, devoted to the glory of God. And so that in and of itself, that's that's what we're looking for. I mean that's the that's that's where we're that's what we're that's where we're and then so those are the commands, and then here's his his side of it. Then I will welcome you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's there's some strength in that. So in those three sections of this Old Testament he puts together, here's the dream of God, here's your side of it, and here's his side. And when you look at it through that lens, you know, I, th- I think there has to come a point where we're like, you know, as much as we always like want, like, like we really want some like structure, no rules, but we do want structure. We want to kind of know, how, you know, is this okay? Is this not okay? We're always asking for that. And I think you look at that, and the question is like, why would you, why would you want anything other than holiness? You know? like why, why even question? I have said this before. It's like, it's like you know, when you get to be a senior in college, uh, you go to class, you look at the syllabus, and you figure out what it, what do I have to do to get out of here? How many days do I have to go? I have to go. Uh, how many skip days do I get? How many days do I have to go? What do I have to make in order to graduate? It's like we're people of the bare minimum so much of the time. And that's fine. You want to pay the bare minimum on car insurance? I think that's great. When it comes to holiness, why, why are we looking for all these other things when we really just need to just look at him, right? And that's that's where he lands. Look at look at verse one of chapter seven. It says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That is heavy. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In view of those phenomenal promises, he says, cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles. He's basically saying, like, look, I'm, like, that's, Everything that we've been rescued from is it, like we've been saved from it. When he says let's cleanse ourselves, the like the the Greek verbiage there is not like a one-time deal. It's a continual thing. Let us continually cleanse ourselves of all those things that we've been rescued from, bringing holiness to completion in the fear and the reverence and the respect of God, bringing holiness to completion. That's that's the answer. You say, how, what, what should our relationships look like with people, and and how how involved should we get, and what about this, and how are we not overcorrect, and how we how do we know, how do we know, how do we know, how do we know? Bring holiness to completion. That, that's how you know. That's how you avoid legalism. That's how you avoid extreme license. That's how you avoid all those things. You say, I just I want to be holy. And so in those parts of life where we're like, where, where you know there's not a good distinction, you take that area of life and you begin to pray to the Lord and say, how, how does holiness come to completion in this? How can I be separate from sin and devoted to the glory of God in this area of my life? 
You begin to pray that. You begin to ask that. You just beat down the doors of heaven with your prayer. I mean, you annoy the heck out of God. He will answer you. He won't get annoyed with you. That's my own. And so, in, as I close, I, I just feel like I just need to pass this on. I don't really know what this means. See, what we talked about tonight is it's familiar to us. And that's how you know. That's how we know everything. If you're pursuing the holiness of God. You're asking Him, how can can sin not be a factor in this area of my life? Okay, finances, friendships, dating relationships, marriages. I mean, you go on and on. How can sin not be a factor because I'm not? It's not overpowering me anymore. And how can God be most glorified in this aspect of my life? You're doing that. You aren't worried about the rules. You aren't worried about all that stuff. You're just worried about that. God says, you take care of this, I'll take care of everything else. So I was thinking about how familiar that is. And, and I felt God really just say, like, when, when are you going to get serious about this? And I couldn't tell if he was talking to me or if he was talking like, that's something to bring here. There's lots of stuff that doesn't ever make it here. There's just stuff that he does in me or whatever. So I was really like, okay, I was like, God, is that like a, like, are you putting your finger on my my life and kind of pressing in? Or is that a corporate thing? And I, I couldn't really tell. So I figured, hey, it couldn't hurt. Like, we talk about holiness all the time, all the time, all the time. When are we going to get serious about it? In light of these promises, why do we settle? Why do we try to just get by? Why? Why? I, I don't know. I have my own like wrestling to do with that. And I'm not trying to bring in like any sort of like guilt. We're not to have a big altar call, cry fest, or whatever. That's. I just think that like that that is a part of where we are. God has us in these like these cycles of these same ideas. To me, bringing holiness to completion, that's a that's huge. And I don't know how it fits into your life. And you might be sitting here thinking, I have no problems with that. That's, that's fine. Um, but I don't think that that would be such a theme among us uh, if, if God weren't really trying to unearth some things in us. And so um, we'll just let that hit us where it hits us. And uh, let him show us where to go from there. All right, let's pray. You know, just, just spend a minute or two just kind of letting God speak to you, to you as to where this hits you tonight.
identify those areas of life where there just there isn't distinction. Help us see how to pursue holiness in those things. Help us to not uh, go right to the behavior, to realize that from our identity flows just a natural Christ-likeness that you are forming in us. And that also requires that we step up. So whatever it is that you're kind of turning over in us, we want to submit to that. embrace that embrace you at work